Hello, everyone. Welcome. Let's continue in our study of the book of Acts. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we thank you uh, for all the things that you do for us, even the things that we don't always understand. Thank you, Lord, for the times that you're working behind the scenes, and we won't even know about it until we get to heaven. We pray, Father, now that as we spend this time hearing your word and trying to understand its depth, that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts. And it would be obvious to us that even in this moment, even through the medium of, of technology, in some amazing way, we have been in your presence. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm wondering, have you ever considered someone dangerous? I remember um, growing up in New York, uh, had just finished my elementary school, first grade through eighth grade, and uh, I was still learning how to speak English correctly, still am, by the way, and uh, as I, because of that, I, I don't have that many friends. In fact, my whole childhood, I'd really struggled with having any good friends, any close friends, uh, and I went to this... Uh, uh, school. It was just a junior high school. That's all it was. It was just for ninth grade. And, and it was called Albert Leonard Junior High School, New Rochelle, New York. I'll never forget this. Now, the one thing I had going for me is that I was a drummer. And so some of the students there knew me as a drummer. And so they wanted to be friends with me because of that. Uh, but of course, uh, they, they were not the best crowd, some of these guys. You know, some of them were uh, part of this Italian group called the Greasers. I'll never forget this one guy named Guy. That's, that was his name, Gaetano. This was 1974, and I longed to be accepted. And so uh, I remember going to parties. He was very wealthy. I, I, I don't know where he got the money from, but uh, went to parties, and I you know, got involved with some other stuff. That was not good for me, but I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be part of it. And uh, during this time, there were a lot of race riots. And uh, there were, there were uh, riots between high schools. Uh, and I'll never forget, Guy had gotten a bunch of guys together. And he said, hey, look, let's go. Let's go. And, and back then, we called it a rumble. Let's go rumble. And he went and he got a bunch of people with bats and, and, and sticks and knives and and I was invited to go and be part of this rumble. I wanted to be such a big part of that group that I said, sure, let's do it, you know, and I'm all there and I'm ready to go. And, and then the night came, and I remember going to this dance at this, at this high school that, that uh, we were going to do this rumble, and we had left everything in the cars, and we were just there, and all of a sudden, guy gives the signal. And I remember all these guys began to kind of spread out, and I remember thinking to myself, and I don't know what it was, and maybe it was God be, before this, everything beginning to work in my life, but I remember thinking, this is not good. This man named Guy, this guy is a dangerous man. And I remember thinking, I got to get home. I remember walking home all the way from Scarsdale that night. It took me two hours 
uh, because I didn't want to be part of that. I remember even the, the shame I felt the next day when we went to school or the next Monday, that was actually a Saturday night, that Monday, went back to school and they were like, what happened to you, you know? And I was like, well, I, you know, I had to go, I had to do something. And, uh, and ever since then, they, I was treated differently. But it was, it was worth it because I had heard that they had gotten into a big fight and some of the guys got hurt really bad. And then the police came and there was all kinds of problems. I remember thinking, there are people in my life that I have to be careful about because they are dangerous. Have you ever considered someone dangerous? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been considered dangerous? Most of us, we hate confrontation, uh, let alone being considered dangerous. We want others to think of us as peacemakers and gentle, kind people, especially as believers. We don't want to think of ourselves as dangerous. But did you know that in the Bible, uh, many people considered Jesus dangerous? In fact, in the book of Matthew, uh, when they go to arrest them, uh, Jesus says to them, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with me with swords and clubs to arrest me? I mean, really? Swords and clubs? You consider me that dangerous? Well, they did. Jesus was seen as dangerous because he was dangerous to a misguided, power-hungry religious leadership. He was dangerous to a status quo, half-paralyzed, irrelevant church. He was dangerous to a predictable and boring religion. He was dangerous because he was just changing everything. I'm going to talk to you this day about being dangerous. You know, funny thing, when I was not a believer, I was never accused of being dangerous. When I was in the grasp of drug addiction, dangerous, no. Pathetic, yes, but not dangerous. When I was a teenager and a young person in a rock band, Dangerous? Never. Entertaining? Probably. But never dangerous. When I first got behind the wheel of a car, well, okay, maybe then my parents thought I was dangerous. But that's about it. But I mean, like, really, really dangerous. But you know what? Once I became a believer, suddenly I'm considered dangerous. I remember suddenly my whole family thought I was dangerous. My whole family thought I was in danger that I was causing danger. I remember talking to friends who thought, what's going on with Sergio? He's getting dangerous. I wasn't dangerous when I was doing drugs, but I was dangerous when I was doing Jesus. It was really strange to me. I was dangerous as I grew up in the, in the Christian faith and I got stronger and stronger. I was dangerous to a legalistic mentality. I was dangerous to anyone who feared change in a commitment to spiritual relevancy. I'll never forget one time I was, I was a pastor. I was asked to do a uh, seminar, seminar at a camp meeting, gatherings that we used to have in the summer. And uh, I was asked by the conference leadership to do this seminar. And the seminar was called Keeping Christianity Relevant. And I'll never forget these two pastors. We'll call them Skip and Dale. And they, they cornered me. They were very conservative. And they said, you know, what is this stupid seminar that you're doing? 
you know how dangerous it is for you to be doing this seminar? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, don't you understand that the world is changing every six months? Our job is not to be keeping up with the world. Our job is, is not to be relevant. Our job, our job is to be faithful, not to keep up with the world. That's, that's, that's not what God has called us to. And I remember having this feeling like, wait a minute. If the church is not relevant, what is it? It's irrelevant. And I remember thinking, for as long as I live... I am going to be committed to making God and his mission and his church relevant. And the day that I die will be the day I stop doing that. For some people, that's dangerous. True story. True story. Someone once offered the principal of a school a quarter of a million dollars to fire the fat guy, me. A very wealthy person. Because... I was changing the culture of the school from this ultra-conservative culture to the school that was alive with Jesus, to the school that was growing with young leaders, and they didn't like that. For the first time ever, I was considered dangerous. In Acts, once again, we find the church gradually being considered more and more dangerous. While the church was embryonic, while the church was emerging, the Roman Empire and the Jewish leaders hoped that this was just a, a cult that would dissipate with the death of its pioneer. But that's not what happened. As the church became more and more unstoppable, the movement was considered more and more dangerous. I'm going to read you a quote from a, a book called Caesar and Christ uh, by Will Durant, one of the most famous history books about that time period. And this is what he says. He says, Pagans called the Christians the dregs of the people and insolent barbarians. That's how dangerous they thought they were. Accused them of hatred of the human race and ascribed them the misfortune of the empire, the entire empire, to the anger of pagan deities whose Christians revilers had been allowed to live. A thousand slenderous legends arose on either side. They called them demonic magic. They called them uh, people with secret immorality. Uh, they misunderstood communion and they, they, they thought they were actually doing something that was drinking human blood. They accused them of being unpatriotic. They accused them of causing riots and, and unrest throughout the whole empire. They were considered dangerous. And the story we pick up on in chapter 16, Paul and Silas were engaged in the exhilarating adventure of turning the world right side up, in turning the world in the right way. But that was dangerous to the Roman Empire. That was dangerous to the Jewish leaders. And chapter 16 begins with, with young Timothy joining them and He's fresh and energetic and he's devoted after receiving a vision uh, that, that to bring the good news to Macedonia. They meet up with this other woman named Lydia. She's a respected, courageous believer and she is baptized by them. I mean, things are going really, really well. It was becoming increasingly obvious that their mission could not be foiled. Their character could not be sold and their determination could not be spoiled. And when they came to town, people began to tremble. When they came to town, the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers 
began to be really upset and to be on guard. And in Acts chapter 16, I want to share with you four fantastic lessons from this amazing story. We begin with verse 16. I'm going to read 16 through 18 here. Follow along with me. It says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, this is Dr. Luke speaking, we were met by a female slave who had, this, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Catch this. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Wow, that sounds good, right? She kept this up for many days. And yet, listen to what it says. And it says, Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit that was possessing this girl, In the name of Jesus Christ, I commend you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And now she no longer could predict the future. Lesson number one. Are you ready? Write this down. Get a pen, some paper. Write this down. Lesson number one. Not every endorsement is beneficial to the cause. Not every endorsement is beneficial to the cause. Why did Paul do that? I mean, this, this girl was actually endorsing them, right? Well, she's predicting the future through this evil spirit. It's not really predicting the future. They're, they're, they're kind of making this up, you know, and, and, and they're causing things to happen because that's what she said. And Jesus had warned about false prophets. He said, do not be deceived by them. The Christian walk has never been about what we know. It's been about who we know. And she had no idea who Jesus was. In fact, the owner wanted to just make money. And, and just being uh, connected to Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas were actually being discredited by her endorsement. In fact, it says in verse 19, 20 and 21, it says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. That's how dangerous they are. They're doing this by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. They are dangerous. These men, we got to put them in jail. They are dangerous to an upside-down, broken-hearted, money-hungry, sin-addicted culture. And in verse 22, it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison, bruised and bleeding. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. I'm sure they had heard of the stories how these Christ followers were amazing escape artists. In verse 24, it says, When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. You're not going anywhere. I'm wondering, 
What do you look like when you have been disrobed and beaten? How do you, how do I react to a public beating, to rumors being spread about me? How do you react when you're humiliated? See, I believe that the real you, the real me, premieres in the arena of trial. It performs in the theater of real-life drama. The real you emerges from backstage into the limelight. The real you, the real me, when crisis draws back the curtain, people get to see who really, truly is on stage. One of the things that I know that is happening because of this, this crisis that we're in is I'm getting to see what people really are like. When the challenges of, of, of the world hit us, and, and, it, and look, I get it. This is not easy. I understand how difficult it is to go through what we're going through. None of us have ever gone through anything like this before. But it's testing us, isn't it? It's testing you. We're all trying to figure out who we really are. And this is the moments when we get to shine. These are the moments when we get to say, this is who I really am. These are the moments that we get to be who God wants us to be, who God designed us to be. And in fact, verse 25, Paul and Silas shine. Listen to what it says. About midnight, bruised and bleeding and beaten, hurting. About midnight, Paul and Silas, bruised and bleeding and hurting, were praying and singing hymns to God. <clears throat> man, I wish I could hear you say amen right now. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Did you catch that? They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Lesson one, if you remember that every endorsement is beneficial to the cause, here's lesson number two. Write it down. This is important. Being locked up is no reason to not worship or witness. Did you catch that? Being locked up is no reason to, worship, to not worship and not witness. In fact, Paul and Silas used that as a great opportunity. Being beaten, slandered, humiliated, in prison did not deter Paul and Silas to praise God. Worship was this natural response of the heart. Did you, you catching this? The venue didn't matter. In prison, they were in church. Locked up, they were in church. The chains or the pain of mistreatment did not matter. They were in church. It says Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They could not help it. Their authentic faith was at its best. Here's what I believe. I believe that when things get dark, that's when we find out whose candle is lit. When the lights are out, you get to know whose candle is really lit, who really, truly is shining this little light of mine. The incredible power of credibility, the awesome display of authentic praise. Paul and Silas, genuine Christians, attractive 
magnetic. They're standing out in this crowd of prisoners. Demonstrate the strength and security. Their character is deeper. Their singing is, is, is clear. Their ideas are fresh. Their spirit is softer. Their courage is greater. Their integrity is higher. Their leadership is stronger. Their concerns are broader. Their compassion is unmatched. And convictions are unshakable. That's who they are when they're beaten and imprisoned. You notice that they're not having a pity party on the lockdown. They're not having a pity party in jail. They're not even screaming injustice, even though Paul was a Roman citizen. There's no scheming. There's no protesting. They're just singing and worshiping and trusting the God of the unstoppable church. There's often a great misunderstanding in the Christian faith. And that misunderstanding is that the Christian life, bad things can't happen to God's people. But you and I know that nothing is further from the truth. In fact, sometimes it's just the opposite. For when we stand with Christ in a Christless world, many times the world desires to silence us and our faithfulness. Did you notice, by the way, how captivating authentic worship is? I mean, here's Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners are listening to them. Don't miss that line. The other prisoners are listening to them. It's midnight in a jail filled with hardened criminals, and they're so overcome that they, that, that they tune in and listen. And here's what I've learned about worship it can capture the attention of the hardest of hearts. I can tell you, in fact, I can't tell you how many times I've entered into worship and my heart wasn't right only to hear a song or hear somebody say something powerful and I was overwhelmed and drawn into the moment by God. I think all of us have experienced that from some time or another. Paul and Silas in this moment, are giving us permission. They're giving us permission to be authentic. They're giving us permission to praise no matter what, to put God's wonder and awe back into our midst no matter what, to tune out the voices that discourage and distract, to sing and worship and pray regardless of the situation. So, lesson number one, not every endorsement is beneficial to the cause. Lesson number two, being locked up is no reason to not worship or not witness. And lesson number three, here we go, ready? Not every earthquake God sends is intended to physically free us. You remember, this happened before. Earthquake comes, the chains come off, and Peter escapes. You see this over and over again, but not this time. No, there's something about, I mean, how, how close should your walk with God be to discern his will to stay? Listen to what it says in uh, verse 26 through 28 in chapter 16. It says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken and at once the prison doors flew open and every chain came loose. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm praying and I'm singing praises to God, I'm thinking this is an answer to prayer. The jailer wakes up, and when he saw the prison door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here, <clears throat> even the other ones. <laughs> We've all, we're all here. Nobody's left. They're still listening to us sing. <laughs> To know that at every open door <clears throat> is an encouragement to escape. How close must your walk with God be? To be able to hear his voice so clearly that you know that even though it looks that way, it's not that way. Even while everything and everyone is shouting go, you don't go. Reminds me of David and Saul in the cave when David's men were saying, this is it, this is the day that God promised you. And, God, and David said, I am not going to harm the Lord's anointed. It reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get thrown into this, into this fire. And all of a sudden, somebody is in the midst of them. And the fire is still going. But they are no longer bound. And they're just talking. They don't escape. They're just there with Jesus. And it's not until they're invited back out that the king is just amazed by what's happening. Not every earthquake God sends is intended to physically free us. They somehow realized, and this is amazing, they somehow realized, they somehow were able to read that the open prison doors and the broken chains were not an invitation to escape, but they were actually an invitation to help those around them experience true freedom. The freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if the Son will set you free, you will be free indeed. And that's what Paul and Silas were banking on. And I love what happens next. Verse uh, 29 says, The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, he was so, so, so taken by this, he asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have the kind of faith that sings when being beaten? The kind of faith that praises God when you're being slandered? The kind of faith that worships him when you're being humiliated and imprisoned? What must I do to have the kind of faith that is at peace no matter what, and does not take advantage of this hopeless jailer. What must I do to have that kind of faith? I want to be, I want to be saved. I want to have that type of, of, of experience. Don't you? I mean, I get it. I get it. I know what this jailer was going through. I've had experiences like this. When I've met people that have had such peace, that I said, you know, what do I need to do to be that, to get that? I need that. I want that. I'll never forget moments in my lives, and there's, there's certain moments that ring in my mind, that echo for a long, long time of conversations that I've had with people that were just on the threshold of eternity and the moment where I was able to reach out to them and bring them across that threshold. As they said, what must I do to be saved? And I love this. Verse 31, it says, They replied, you got to go out 
you got to study a bunch of Bible stuff. Then you got to go and get an interview. And then you got to pray. And then you got to do this. And then you got, nah, nah. What must I do to be saved? Very simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. You and your household. How cool is that? And so then they speak the word of the Lord to him. It is then that they begin to share the good news to him and to everybody in the house. And it says in verse 33, At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. This is what happens when you become converted. Everything changes. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. How cool is that? And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. He's not even worried that they're going to escape. He's got them over his house. He's not even thinking about how am I going to explain this. Verse 35, we get our last lesson of the day. Verses 35 through 37. Follow me here. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Ooh, dangerous. I mean, can you imagine Paul and Silas? They actually get like, they're like being set free. And they still don't want to go. So here's lesson number four. Are you ready? Not every command to go is intended for our benefit. Not every command to go is intended for our benefit. Go, in this instance, basically means leave us alone. Go, in this instance, means you can leave, but stop bothering us and embarrassing us. Go sometimes is an invitation to stop being dangerous, but not for Paul and Silas. Go. Turn the awesomeness of God into an adventurous, boring experience. Go is inviting us to be subdued, to be invisible, to be suppressed. No, Paul says. You let them come themselves and escort us out. We want a parade. That's what we want. <laughs> Paul and Silas, man, they crack me up. In verse 38 through 40, it goes like this. The officers reported this to the magistrates. When they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. <laughs> they came to appease them. They came to appease them. I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like Paul must have really enjoyed this moment. And then escorted them from the prison. In fact, I think one of the reasons why Paul did this is so that 
they would commend the jailer instead of punishing him. Oh, good. Oh, good. You've cleaned up their wounds already. Good for you. Good job. You, you figured it out. Good. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. Verse 40, it says, And after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, guess what they did? They went to Lydia's house. Unstoppable. Where they met with their brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. Don't you just love it? And here's what I want to say to all of us here. God is inviting us to be dangerous. Not dangerous in the sense that, that we, we cause problems and troubles, but dangerous in the sense that we're willing to be courageous enough to be change agents for the kingdom of God. To be recognized, not because we are churchgoers, but because we worship God everywhere and in every circumstance. Dangerous to a dull and boring religion. Dangerous to an unsurprisingly chaotic yet monotonous culture. And so write them down. Lesson one. Not every endorsement is beneficial to the cause. Lesson number two. Being locked up is no reason to not worship or not to witness. Lesson number three. Not every earthquake God sends is intended to physically free us. And lesson number four, that every command to go is intended for our benefit. So, I challenge you, be dangerous for God. Be part of his unstoppable church, no matter what. I pray that as we continue during this pandemic, during this time, I want to encourage you, this will be over. And we will get to come together again soon. But until then, be dangerous. Be dangerous to, 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 to your neighbors. Help them to get uncomfortable with their lives in a good way. You know what I'm saying. In a way that helps them to find the freedom. Just like they were dangerous to that jailer. Be dangerous to them to the point where they say, what must I do to be saved? Be dangerous to those around you, to everyone you meet and everyone you come in contact with. Not, not by not wearing your mask or, 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 or causing somebody to get sick, but being contagious with the virus of Jesus Christ. Be dangerous in those ways. And God will bless you above and beyond what you could ever imagine. Love you and we miss you. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the example of Paul and Silas. Thank you, Lord, for, for giving us an opportunity to grow, to, to be part of a, of a church that is not stagnant, but a church that is moving forward no matter what. Help us, Lord, never to rest on our laurels. Help us ever to move forward. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.